Father, we thank you that you have taken care of all of our needs. Um, We thank you for Jesus, the Messiah, who we have gathered together today to worship. And we thank you for him uh, whom death could not hold. Uh, We thank you that in him, in his ascension, he has blessed us with everything we need for faith and life in Jesus. And we um, we thank you for the many gifts you have given to us. And we ask that you would take now these gifts, these tithes and these offerings and that you would use them in order that your kingdom would be advanced upon this earth in order that the wonderful good news of the gospel would be brought to all the nations Father, as we prepare ourselves now to sit underneath your word, we pray that you would help us, that you would help those of us who are anxious, those of us who are in need of hope, those of us who are frightened, those of us who feel very, very comfortable in life, those of us who appear very good and those of us who appear very bad. We pray that you would help us all to see That in the gospel we are told that we are far more broken than even we can imagine. But the good news is that because of Jesus, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, we can be assured that we are also at the same time far more loved and far more secure, far more accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. So we pray that you would help us to see and to hear this good news today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Um, You know, after a song like that, I kind of feel like just giving the benediction. um, But they. But this is what I get paid to do, and I need a paycheck. Um, So um, anyway. we're going to be, we're taking a little break, of course, this morning, being Easter Sunday, taking a break from our regular sermon series, and we're going to be in John chapter 20. Um, John chapter 20, and that passage is printed on the insert in your bulletin, so if you can find that or open your Bible to that passage, John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Um, we'll give our attention now to God's holy and inerrant word. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. It's Easter Sunday, and I've decided that um, I wanted to spend some time in John chapter 20 reflecting with you on this passage. Um, But right from the beginning, I want you to think with me about why John gave us this story of Thomas. If we do that, I think what will happen is we'll be able to connect the dots very easily with this passage uh, to our lives and what we need to learn from this passage. I'm at this stage of life where we have young children uh, who are in school and they are now bringing home their homework and we have to work through that homework with them. And after some long days, it's really, really hard, even at trying to be a good parent, to sit there and process through that with them, to work the long division and parse the grammar and all, all, solve word problems, all that kind of stuff. It's so tempting when they bring that homework to you after a long day to just give them the answer, right? It's 47, you know. Um, it's The answer's condensation. That's an adverb. Um, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, at this stage in the game, I feel fairly confident that I could pass the first grade, um, even the third grade, um, although it is getting more difficult in the third grade. But, but listen, as easy as it would be, most of the time, not always, but most of the time I try to be a good parent and I take the slower, harder route, right, of helping them process through the problem. And I do that by asking a lot of why questions, right? So why did you uh, why did you subtract instead of add? Right. Uh, You know, why do you think that word is an adverb? Uh, Why does water condense on the outside of the glass? Why? 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 You know, you're trying to get them to think it out. You want them to process it. You want them to work the problem because, you know, I want them to learn so that by the time they're in the seventh grade and their their math class is far eclipsed anything that I understand, um, they'll be able to work it out. They'll be able to figure it out um, and connect the dots. John chapter 20 obviously comes after Jesus' resurrection. And it's the story of Thomas questioning the reality of that resurrection, right? And of Jesus appearing to him. Because as you know, we, we picked up the story kind of halfway through, Thomas wasn't with the other disciples a week earlier when Jesus had appeared to them. But here's what I want to do. I, I want to let you into my world a little bit and process through with you how I metaphorically solve the long division here and parse the grammar of this passage. Um, and here's what I mean. We have to ask the question, why about this passage? You know, look, verse 30 and 31, John is saying, I could have told you a ton more stories about Jesus. I could have told you story after story after story about Jesus, right? But, but he's saying, but I included the stories that I did so that you would believe in Jesus, the Son of God, and that you would have life in his name. See, he's telling you, that that's the thematic statement for his entire book, right? He's saying, this is why I wrote. And he's saying also, I was very, very selective in what I put into this book. I chose the stories I chose so that you would believe in Jesus. 
and that you would find life. You Think about this. John's gospel, his book, all the scholars will tell you that his book covers 21, maybe 22 days in the life of Jesus. John is not, he's not trying to write an exhaustive, right, best-selling biography on the life of Jesus. He is very, very selective and intentional in the stories that he tells. So now hone in on this one day that he includes, right? This one story about Thomas. Why does John include this story? Of all the stories he could have included. And why does he put it right here at the climax of his entire book? You know, all my life, I I remember from, from the time I was very, very young, hearing about doubting Thomas, right? And Thomas the doubter. But what I want to tell you this morning is that is most definitely not why John put this story here. See, John isn't saying, look at how Thomas doubted. John puts it here because he wants you to look at it and say, look how Thomas believed. That's why he puts it here. He is holding Thomas up to you and me as the greatest example of how to believe and find life in Jesus. That's why it's here. And so that's it this morning. I want to talk with you this morning about how to believe in this Jesus, this resurrected Jesus. For some of us here, how to believe for the first time. And for others of you, how to go on believing. Or or, or maybe, maybe this, how to get the belief from your head down into your heart. Right, so here it is. Three points of application, really, for, for us as we continue. How do you believe? You have to show up, you have to get real, and you have to fall down. Okay, so here it is. First, you have to show up. That's what Thomas does in this passage, right? See, he wasn't there a week prior when Jesus showed up with all the other disciples. So even with all of his questions, with all of his doubts, he at least does this one thing. He shows up. Right. You know, I know that it's real easy and popular to treat the Bible with a certain chronological snobbery. You know, if you don't, this, this is what I mean by that. We 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 look at the Bible and we say, oh, of course, those guys believed in miracles and stuff like that. Of course, they believe that Jesus was the son of God and that a resurrection really happened. You know, the, look, they're so primitive. They're so unsophisticated. Right. They're so they were so superstitious back then. Out of Thomas's 11 closest friends, 11 of them came to him and said, we have seen Jesus. He is alive. This is a Nathan Turk. We paraphrase of what Thomas said. He said, what in the world were you guys smoking last week? That is crazy talk. See, he is saying only if I could stick my finger into the holes in his hands, would I believe anything as ridiculous as that story. 11 out of 11 of his closest friends told him Jesus was alive and he didn't believe it. And here's what I'm saying. Thomas was not looking for a resurrection. He didn't have a category for a resurrection. And you think about the other disciples. How did they come to believe, right? A bunch of women went to the tomb and they found that his body wasn't there, right? And when the women came back and told these guys, these other 11, this is in Luke 24, It says that the disciples thought it was an idle tale and did not believe them. Idle tale. (laughs) Those ladies are crazy. We don't believe this. They didn't have a category for, right? 
Until they saw Jesus himself, they thought it was ridiculous too. No one, absolutely no one, was looking for a resurrection. Thomas was just like us. Okay, if you get that, I want to show you basically the only evangelism program that the Bible has to offer you. Now, evangelism can take a lot of different forms, but the one this, I'm showing you the one program that it has. Thomas said, no way am I going to believe that story. And I know I'm making a little inference here, but I can't think of another way to account for verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Thomas said, no way I'm going to believe that. And his friend said, okay, that's fine. Just come hang out with us at church next week. Right? He didn't believe him. He wasn't about to believe, but he showed up. And when he showed up, he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus in all his glory. If I could just take a little pressure off of the majority of you who claim to be Christians, but you feel terribly, terribly guilty in your life because you're not obeying the Great Commission to go and make disciples, right? See, you, you got this vision that real evangelism is you in a coffee shop one-on-one and you're sitting there and you're talking about Jesus and, and all of a sudden at the crucial moment you pull out a napkin and you draw some picture on it that, sh- that displays the gospel in all its clarity and perfection and so convincingly. Or maybe you've got this vision of I've, to, in order to be an evangelist, I've got to be able to answer all the defeater questions. I've got to be able to, you know, combat and debate, you know, with with uh, with Bar- airman or bill nye the science guy or whatever fine and well but even if you had the best picture that you could ever dream up and even if you had an answer to every question it would never ever approach the effectiveness of this okay that's fine why don't you just hang out with us and come to church next week and we'll go to lunch afterwards, right? Gold star, obeying the Great Commission, showing up. What if Thomas had never shown up? Right? What if your friends are never invited to show up? You know, there are more reasons that, that this is true than just this. But let me at least make the point that this passage, I think, is getting across. God made us in such a way that we are meant, we are designed to process and work through the claims of Jesus among friends in relationships, in community. We want it to be, just go read this book by yourself, right? We, we want to mind our own business and let everybody else mind their own business too. We wish it worked with a sales pitch on a, on a napkin in a coffee shop, right? We don't, we don't want to be noticed. We don't want to be observed. We don't want to be seen to be in a long process. We were meant to give space to people to think it all out in the context of real relationships. That's what this passage is saying. And sometimes that takes a long time, but you have to show up and you have to work through it in community. But, you know, community is not only the entry point for believing the gospel. It's also the way for you and I to go on believing. You know, the author of Hebrews, he's writing to this church and he says, let us not give up meeting together as some of us are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, I struggled with a lot of this and whether I would say a lot of this this morning because I know that we're all conditioned to hear it a certain way from the preacher, right? 
here it comes, guilt trip, show up, invite your friends, whatever. Um, if you think that, if you think that this is a guilt trip, you don't know me very well. That's all I can say about that. If I could just make this a little bit more personal, and hopefully it won't scare you. Um, there have been a number of times in my life where I have lost sight of the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for me and how to apply it to my life. I, I, I know that there have been times where I believed it intellectually, but I have struggled so, so very hard experientially, right? You know, whether I was facing terrible anxiety in my life or despairing circumstances or just hope-crushing blows coming into my life. And some well-meaning people along the way tried to give me coffee napkin advice, right? Just stop that. Stop thinking like that. Be happy, right? Shake it off. Try this. Do this. Do that. None of it helped. But what has helped is having friends to hold my hand as I wrestled through the claims of Jesus. Not advice, but the good news, a man named Jesus who claimed to be God. He came into this world and he died on a cross and he rose from the dead. You're struggling. OK, that's fine. Come wrestle with this in the context of God's people in community. Come wrestle with your doubts, your anxieties, your fears, your troubles, your hopelessness, your questions, your confusion, your confusion. In the community of God's people before God's face. Do you think God is not big enough. To handle your fears and your questions and your doubts. You have to show up. You know we've got to move on. But already some of you are thinking. Church is the last place I want to show up regularly. With my junk. With my fears. With my confusion. With my doubts. That's the last community. That I really want to pour myself out in front of. And be open with. Cool. Just hang with me about 10 minutes and we'll see if we can change some of that. Um, second, if you're going to believe, you have to get real. Okay? And by that, I mean you have to be open about the stuff I was just talking about. You have to be open about your junk, your mess, your confusion, your disbelief, your sin, your brokenness. Terrifying, right? It is. I'm going to ask you to put yourself in Thomas' shoes just for a second. Okay. Imagine that you had said to your friends what Thomas said in verse 25. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Imagine you had said that to your friends in confidence, maybe. And then Jesus showed up. And the first thing he said was, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. I'm willing to bet that if you were Thomas, you would have gotten very, very uncomfortable. It might even take you a second to process it. But your gut would be increasingly tightening as you processed it. And here's why. It would feel like your parents just snatched your phone away without any warning and started scrolling through all your text messages. It would feel like your husband got a recording of that night you were out at dinner with your three best girlfriends and heard the discussion you had. Because what would be dawning on you as you stood there with your mouth open would be this. I thought Jesus was dead. But he has been watching me. He sees everything that I've done. He knows my thoughts. 
He knows my heart. Right? There are no secrets that I can keep from Jesus. That's what's going on with Thomas here in this passage. He knows every bit of confusion. Every thought, every doubt, every suspicion, every fear, every delight, every little thing about me. Here's what I'm saying. Thomas got exposed. But look, when Thomas got exposed, he got real. Right? He didn't try to explain his doubts away. You know, but I was busy last week when you showed up. It's not really my fault. You know, he didn't try to pin it on someone else. You know, did one of you guys rat me out to Jesus? Um... You know, he got real before Jesus. He realized that no matter what he said, thought, or did, Jesus knew him inside out and knew him to the very bottom of his soul. And so the only course of sanity in the face of Jesus was to get real. Thomas is saying, yep, that's me. I demanded those things before I would believe. I didn't believe, I wouldn't believe, and by the way, I didn't just doubt what these friends of mine said. I doubted everything you said, Jesus, because Jesus made constant reference to his resurrection. Right? Jesus, down in the depths of my soul, I questioned everything about you. What if this community that we're talking about in the first point was resting on this foundation? As Brennan Manning puts it, it's okay. That you aren't okay. What if, Christ, what if this community was built on that? Because truthfully, that's where we all are in this room. <laughs> A bunch of not okay people needing Jesus to make it okay that we aren't okay. I'll get there more in the next point. But don't you already get a taste of it in this point? That Thomas got exposed, but it was safe. Right? Right? Safe to get real before Jesus. Okay to not be okay before Jesus. You know, we have these little cards in the back of our pews. You know, they're colorful. They say share grace on them, right? Um, And they tell you where to get some information about the church and all that. Um, It's marketing, right? Um, (coughs) Take them home with you. Give them to your friends as you invite them to church. Um, for obvious reasons, though, we couldn't print what I'm about to tell you on the card because it, it requires some explanation. Um, but maybe you can use this in your personal, friendly invitation of uh, relational invitation of others to show up. Um, I came up with these slogans with some help from a friend of mine who's a marketing major in college. So these are the slogans. I got three of them for you. All right. Slogan number one. What do you call a liar, a thief, an adulterer, a murderer, a coveter and an addict all rolled into one? Our head pastor at Grace Community Church. Right? I mean, mean, look, it's okay. You can come hang out with us. Right? You can hang out with us. Our pastor wants to share with you his only hope in life and in death. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Slogan number two. Now I'm going to turn it on you. What do you get when you are on your third marriage, second bankruptcy, and your last pack of cigarettes? Good company at Grace Community Church. It's okay, you can come hang out with us. We want to share the grace that we have found in Jesus with you. It's okay that you're not okay. Slogan number three. What do you get if you yelled at your kids on the way to church on Easter Sunday, wished your spouse into the grave last week, and caved to your addictions last month? You get a stack of bulletins because you're our new usher at the front of the church. (laughs) Right? See, see, here's here's what... 
you don't, you don't ever want me to get one of those church signs out on the front of the property um, where I can stick up a different phrase. Look, everyone wants to market, right? Sunday school programs, youth group trips, big music, building projects, fancy fellowship halls, you know, all that, all very good things. I, I want to do a lot of that stuff that I just mentioned. But I'm telling you, this is where the money is. This is where the, this is the one place you have been looking for all your life. Right? A place where it is safe to get real. And if you're visiting, you can trust me in this. I know myself and I know these people here. You are in very good company here. We are all not okay needing Jesus to make us okay. We do want to share grace with you. Introduce you to a Savior that you can get real before. Because my goodness, he already knows you inside and out. He already knows you to the bottom of your soul. To become a great believer like Thomas, you've got to show up, but you also have to get real. Okay, last thing. Last thing in our list of three things John is showing us here. How to become a great believer. And finally, he is saying you have to fall down. I know that it doesn't literally say that Thomas fell down before Jesus in this passage, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Because that is the posture that fits what Thomas says in verse 29. As soon as Jesus exposed Thomas, Thomas answered Jesus, my Lord and my God. Now, did you catch what happened? Or better yet, did you catch what didn't happen? Right. Jesus said, I know what you're thinking here. Go ahead and touch the nail prints. Go ahead and put your hand in my side. The thing Thomas said that he would have to do in order to believe. But then. Thomas didn't do it. And I think the reason Thomas didn't is actually in his confession. He says, my Lord, my God. In other words, Thomas had placed conditions for his belief on God. He was saying, I'll believe you if. And if one thing's clear in the Bible, you do not place conditions on on the almighty God. But you know what? We do it all the time. Jesus, I'll believe you if you just get me out of this mess. I'll follow you as long as following you doesn't interfere with the plans I have for my life. Jesus, I'll obey you if it will give me give my family security. I'll, I'll obey you if it improves my reputation. I'll obey you if it helps me get ahead. We want see so often in life. We are seeking to use Jesus. We want to use Jesus. We want to climb up on his shoulders to reach the real desires of our hearts. The things we are really worshiping deep down, we are saying this. If if I could just get that. You know, if Jesus would give me that, if Jesus would make that go away or fix that. Then I would have life. Then I would be able to rest. Then I would have joy. And here's why Thomas is an example of great belief. What he does in this passage is he drops all of his conditions at the feet of Jesus. He took his hands off of his life. And he said, Jesus, you are not here to do my bidding. You are Lord 
You are God. You are king of kings. You are the master of the universe. He let go of his conditions to grab hold of Jesus and nothing else. And if you are going to become a great believer, you have to take your hands off of your life. Drop the conditions and grab hold of Jesus and submit to him. But still, even with all that said, you've got a sense that something is missing, right? I mean, all that is true, right? You've got to show up. You have to get real. You have to drop all your conditions at Jesus' feet. And yet, if you and I stop there, we will never really fall before Jesus. You know what you'll do if you stop there? You'll arch your back, you'll flex your muscles, and you'll try harder next week. And you'll try to get it right next week. You'll try to be more honest, and that'll last about five minutes, and then you'll be hiding in your shame again. Look, something more beautiful has to capture your heart. Something more wonderful, more freeing, more glorious, more stunning than the plans you have for your life than the reputation you want to have with your friends, than the security you think a bigger bank account will give you. Only when something of greater beauty than that captures your heart will you fall before Jesus. Listen again to Thomas' confession. He says, my Lord and my God. What Thomas saw standing before him was not just a theological doctrine of truth. Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God in the flesh. What Thomas came to grasp in the community of his friends when he got real was something very, very personal. He was looking at a wounded God. He was looking at a God who had been pierced. He was looking at a God who had become flesh and spilt his blood until his heart stopped beating. My Lord and my God so loved me that he gave himself and died for me, is what Thomas saw. Bringing in the closer here, a theologian named John Stott. Probably my favorite quote by Stott that I return to often, it goes like this. He says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? That lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh, blood, tears, and death. He suffered for us. That's what Thomas saw. In the resurrected Jesus. God himself came. And suffered for us. See he showed up. He got real. But he fell before a God. Who so loved him. That he came to remove the sting of death. In his own death. A God who removed the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. He saw a God who laid aside. His immunity to pain. And was wounded for us personally. And really. You know on the front of your bulletin. I put this quote from Sam Albury. He says, by dying and rising for us, Jesus has closed the deal. Right? God has signed for it, he said. And his signature is the resurrection. And you know what that signature says? It says that death has been killed and the curse cursed and brokenness broken in the death of Jesus. 
the resurrected Jesus appeared in that room behind locked doors, looked at his disciples. And what was the first thing he said to them? Not Thomas, put your hand here. He said, peace be with you. It's okay that you aren't okay. Because I died for you. And I rose from the dead for you. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And you are free in me. That truth, not abstract, but real and personal. When it captures your heart, it will change you. All of these guys, minus one, went to their death as martyrs. They found life. And when they found life, they found something worth giving their lives up for, dying for. What about you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this day set aside in our calendars. Uh, It's not that we don't celebrate it every week when we gather, but with renewed focus, we celebrate it this Easter Sunday that Jesus came. He came as a man in order that he might take the punishment we deserve. He came as the God man. So that he could fully satisfy the demands of the law and become the curse for us. Father, I pray that we would see that in Jesus, in his death, in his rising from the dead. That his resurrection tells us. That in his death, he broke brokenness, killed death and destroyed destruction so that we might have life in his name. Father, I pray that you would help us. We are a people prone to not show up. We want to do things privately, away from others. Keep us humble. Help us to show up so that before you we would get real. We pray that this would indeed be, become a community and continue growing to be a community where it's okay not to be okay. Because we are trusting, resting, and banking everything on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Not on anything in ourselves. And we pray that, that the wonder of that would capture our hearts, would fill us with joy, would make us sing your praises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.